Computer, initialize Holosuite. to a special Fire Caves After Dark, the Star Trek show that's dedicated to Star Trek Deep Space Nine, but then we also cover all other things Trek and sci-fi whenever the notion moves us, like this one did. So I hope you all are ready to strap in as we talk about the one of the better sci-fi movies of the latter half of the 90s, Star Trek First Contact, okay? So we're going to get right into it. Just to explain why we're doing this um, After Dark real quick, it's because David is a first-time viewer of uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and we've been following the timeline as best we can when it comes to not just watching the episodes, but also the movies and so forth. And now it was finally time. He was finally able to watch Star Trek First Contact. So we're going to review the movie, get his impressions, and of course you're going to get to listen to me fanboy over a movie that I've seen countless <laughs> number of times over the intervening 20, 30 years since it came out. So, right now, did you think that we should yeah. give a recap of this movie or should we just jump right in? Cause it is a movie and it's different, you know, and we can hit the highlights. I mean, I feel sure. like it's a movie that it pretty, pretty easily hits highlights. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll do it. Cause I just watched yeah, it. Yeah. Since you're um, the newbie, what did you remember? Yeah. What are your highlights? So, uh, for those, you have to basically watch TNG in order to really understand this film at all. Uh, Picard has a nightmare of when he was uh, assimilated by the Borg at the end of season three of TNG, uh, when he became Locutus of Borg for a brief time. Uh, but um, he wakes up, he's hearing Borg voices, and he gets notified that the Borg are invading. Uh, there's Deep Space Five is saying there's a Borg cube on the way. But Starfleet Command doesn't want Picard involved because they feel he's too emotional on the subject. So they sent uh, the new Enterprise E, which looks very different from the old D, uh, to go uh, to the neutral zone and basically make sure the Romulans don't do anything fancy while they're dealing with the Borg. Uh, but they tune in to listen in how the battle goes. They hear the battle's going badly, so Picard and the crew agree to break uh, from their orders and go help with the Borg invasion. They get there in time to see that once again, the Borg are routing the Enterprise. I'm sorry, the uh, Federation starships. And so Picard takes control of the fleet, says aim at this particular section of the Borg cube. Uh, even though it doesn't seem to be all that important, they all aim at that section and are able to destroy the Borg cube. But before it's destroyed, a sphere is launched from the Borg cube and, uh, creates a temporary time warp to the past and uh the enterprise gets caught up in it before the enterprise jumps out Worf it was there with the defiant the defiant um is badly damaged so they bring Worf and the rest of his crew that's still alive aboard and they tell him that the defiant is still salvageable it's you know it's just floating out there uh so Worf is with our tng crew for their next adventure they go through this wormhole to the past where uh, they are there the day before Earth makes first contact, in particular the day before they make a uh, the first uh, attempt at a warp nacelle test 
uh, by the character uh, Zephram Cochran. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they get there just in time to basically realize the Borg are trying to change history to assimilate Earth before uh, they are able to become a you know star-faring species. Uh, the next day is when they're supposed to do the test. That will get a whole. That will notify the Vulcans of the uh, nature of Earth being ready to join the you know advanced species of the galaxy, and first contact will be made. So if they can't. Uh, make sure that the uh, test goes through, then history will be altered dra- dramatically and the Borg have a very high chance of assimilating Earth way in the past, back during the 21st century. This is like 2063, I believe, the year they're in. Um, so uh, they beam down to the planet. They find Zephram Zoc- uh, uh, no, Cochran. Zephram Cochran. Uh, there we go. Zephram Cochran. They find him. And the long story short with him is that he's a man who doesn't realize his importance to history. He's a drunk. He uh, is not the most upstanding kind of individual. When Jordy and the others start kind of fanboying over who he is and his history, he runs away for a time. He doesn't want to be this mythical historical figure that everyone's saying he he becomes. Uh, and so for a time, he runs away from his job of uh, leading and uh, piloting this vessel that's going to be the first warp core test. Uh, but eventually, Jordy, um, uh, Riker, and uh, and uh, oh, and um, uh, Troy convince him to go ahead and go through with it. So Jordy, uh, Riker, and Troy are all on the on Earth helping him do his business, getting the warp nacelles working. However, the main plot is happening back on the Enterprise. Turns out before the sphere was destroyed by the Enterprise, following it through the wormhole, uh, the Borg were able to warp, or sorry, um, uh, transport someone, some Borgs to the Enterprise. And they go to engineering and start assimilating crew members and taking over the ship. Uh, they... The Borg is basically taking over the ship in order to send a message to deep space where the Borg are in the Delta Quadrant to alert them to the presence of Earth and to come attack it now. That's going to be the definitive moment where the Borg come to Earth, assimilate it well before the 24th century. Um, While trying to attack the Borg on the ship, Data is captured, and uh, there's the revelation that the Borg have a queen, the Borg Queen, uh, she is someone who is more personal in her relationship with people that she talks with. And later we find out that she actually was there when Picard was assimilated. Um, but she tells Data that she can do more to make him human than ever before. She can actually give him skin, for example. Um, now, he had locked the main ship computer out from the Borg's control. Uh, so he knows that they're going to try and convince him to give control of the ship completely over to the Borg, but uh, he refuses. Uh, so they basically, instead of torturing Data, they're actually using incentives to get Data to join them. Uh, the old carrot exactly. instead of the stick. Exactly. Including uh, some references to, hey, uh, you want to learn how sex is? Like, I'll, I haven't, you know, it's been eight years since Data's had sex. 
but the Borg Queen's willing to, you know, give join him a, in that. Give him an old roll in the hay for old time's yeah. sake. Now yeah, that he's got very, some skin in the game, as it were. <laughs> literally, yeah. Um, so during this time, Picard, uh, Worf, let's see, Picard, Worf, uh, Lieutenant Crusher, Hawk. Lieutenant Hawk, who he's he's the new guy. He's the one who's piloting the ship in most scenes. But who's the other um, crew member? It's Crusher, Picard, Worf, and um, Data. Oh, Data, of course, because Data's been captured. They're all on the ship, and they're having to fight off the, the Borg with various crew members. And again, they're losing the battle. You know, the Borg are expanding. They don't, like, fully take over the ship. Like, they only, again, the Borg don't consider the humans a threat, so they the humans can go in amongst the Borg sometimes, and the Borg will ignore them. But any time they try and stop the Borg from doing something, the Borg attack. Now, when they were on Earth earlier getting um, the whole warp situation figured out, they did bring aboard a human woman from the past to the ship to heal her, but because of the Borg invasion, they've had to tell her what's going on. Uh, So when Picard uh, says, we're going to defeat the Borg, we're not going to scuttle the Enterprise in in an attempt to stop the uh, Borg from doing their job, he... uh, confronts Worf, Worf and he get into a very heated conversation. Worf says, we need to scuttle the ship in order to stop the Borg from doing what they're going to do. We need to take our loss and move on. Picard emotionally uh, says, no, I'm not going to let the Enterprise be lost. Again, he just lost the Enterprise D in the last film. He's not going to lose the Enterprise E. He just got to know her. Um, but the human woman tells him, hey, you're... You need to do it. And there's a conversation they have about Ahab and the whale and um, Moby Dick. stuff like that. Moby Dick. Sorry, yes, Moby Dick. And uh, so Picard agrees that, yes, actually, they do, they do need to scuttle the ship. Uh, this is not if – if that's the best way to destroy the Borg, that's what they need to do. However, he's going to go down with the ship and try and save Data. So he goes to try and save Data. Data has been given more human skin on his face in particular, and he seems to have been assimilated. So – uh, Picard says to the Borg Queen, "Give, uh, you know, let Data escape. Take me instead. I will be the equal to you amongst humans. So you wanted me to give myself willingly when you first tried to assimilate me. I will go willingly this time." Uh, Data seems to have been assimilated and uh, on uh, the Borg side. So he undoes mm. the lockout, for example, and he undoes the self-destruct sequence. And he fires some torpedoes at the ship where the warp test is being produced. However, the torpedoes narrowly miss, revealing that Data has actually not been compromised. He's actually still on uh, Picard and the Enterprise crew's side. And uh, he hits a coolant system that will vaporize and destroy all biological life that it touches. So Picard narrowly escapes. All of the Borg uh, drones are killed, including, again, previous members of the the crew who've been assimilated, and the Borg Queen is also killed. So they're able to save the Enterprise. Uh, They are able to confirm the warp uh, test, and the Vulcans do... I'm sorry, uh, yeah, the Vulcans do arrive, and the Enterprise crew, having seen how the Borg traveled through space and time with their, you know, time travel, recreate that same event and travel back to the future. I think I hit all the big things. That is essentially it. You, you did. Yeah, you did. I, mean, we're I just gonna, watched it today. Yeah, so, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna get into it. Fresh. Don't get me wrong. We're gonna get into it. But yes, you definitely hit the uh, high points there that we needed. Um, 
so many great things in this movie that later Trek would then use for just other aspects of world building, lore building, and, and other shows. And so um, that's what I want to actually start uh, with first because you don't know it. <laughs> and uh, the chances of you watching all of it to realize where all of that comes from is uh, remote. It, I mean, you could do it, but it would it would be a while. Take a while. Um, yeah. So, like, for example, the first one that we're um, going to talk about is... Well, the ending. So they blow up the sphere. And as you can imagine, whenever you blow up a ship, there's going to be debris. And this debris will rain down wherever it, you know, it's in orbit. So now it's in a decaying orbit. And then it falls into the planet and, and so forth and gets covered up. So this movie is set about, what did what they say this was? The latter half? So it's the latter half 63. of the 21st, 21st century. Yeah, 2063, if yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah. So 2063, which is an important important date we're going to also get back to, April 4th, 2063. Um, but anyway, so when the debris falls to the Earth, it turns out that a lot of this debris lands in Antarctica, where it's immediately buried in snow, and then more and more and more snow over the next 100 years, right? So now let's Ooh. move us forward 100 years, now into the 22nd century, the latter half of the 22nd century. And we have Captain Archer and company on the very first ship to be named Enterprise in the show of the same name, Star Trek Enterprise. And there is an episode where an Antarctic expedition team uncovers this mysterious spherical wreckage in the polar ice caps in Antarctica, which, if you ask me, the most stunning thing about that episode was that there were still polar ice caps in the 22nd century, but, you know, we're not going to talk about global warming right now. Um, <laughs> but anyway, they find these spherical pieces, and they're trying to put it together and figure out what all this is and speculate where it came from. They can tell it's alien, but, you know, we're not really sure who. And then all of a sudden, they uncover a couple of frozen bodies in the ice. And they're, you know, these they got all these weird cybernetic implants all over them. And as far as I can tell, they've been dead and frozen in the ice for 100 years. So they bring them inside, and they lay them on a slab, and they're tinkering away with them and everything else. And then, as the bodies warm up, certain things start to tick back on. Back to life. Yeah. And then before you know it, we've got two robots running around as they were calling them at first until they until yeah they take over that expedition team they hijack a shuttle they take off they wreak havoc elsewhere they kill a bunch of people other in other places but thankfully because they were having to upgrade centuries old technology from their perspective because they're from the 24th century and it's the 22nd century they're not able to fully affect a takeover and escape and the enterprise of the day is able to destroy them that is um yeah like the first time that we have an instance of this movie being used in later trek uh great now, the character of Zephram Cochran makes the appearance in two other treks, the first one being the original series, where in the original series storyline, we don't know what happened to Zephram Cochran. He was a very famous warp field theorist and whatever else. He is the heralded as the creator of warp drive. Um, 
and he and and, and according to the lore of the next generation or not the next generation but the original series he was testing an experimental new warp drive when he went missing and as far as anybody knew he had just died somewhere in deep space and then he pops up later on on another planet where it turns out he did crash land and this alien being has been taking care of him all of this time and that's why he's still alive because that's the original series set in the 23rd century so right. he lo- he launched in the middle or the latter half of the 21st century and somehow he's still being kept alive in the 23rd century living out his life on an alien planet gotcha in star trek lower decks he makes an appearance as a hologram where they're in in bozeman montana in celebration of uh, first contact with Vulcans and his importance and everything else, they have created a whole theme park around first contact. And you can take... <laughs> theme park? Yes. Okay. And you can take the um, uh, the Phoenix as a as a as an attraction, as a ride. Kind of like we would have a, a Ferris wheel or a right. roller coaster, right? You can ride in the Phoenix with a holographic version of Zephyrin Cochran and play his terrible music, and it will shoot you <laughs> to the moon and back. And uh, so that's wow. the next time that we see him. Gotcha. Now, Zephyrin Cochran is played in this movie by James Cromwell, great actor, who also yeah. has a nice storied uh, Trek uh lineage here he has showed up multiple times across various shows he was in next generation he was in uh deep space nine a few times uh, obviously we see him here um yeah james cromwell is a pretty uh and he's a pretty solid actor if you've if you ever get the chance to just like google him at all you'll notice wow. that he's he's in a lot of stuff and you've probably seen him in movies and maybe didn't know who he was, but he's one of those people that we were talking about last night, a very distinctive voice. He also has a very distinctive height. He's quite tall. Um, And so, yeah, he's a very uh, noticeable individual. Yeah. He's on, he's been in deep space nine. apparently. Yes. He was in deep space nine. The episode starship down when they are trying to negotiate with the karma with the Ferengi and Quark is the intermediary and the dominion is snooping around and they go into that, um, gaseous oh, anomaly, yes. and Cisco gets yeah, blown was, up in the head injury. He's trapped yeah, below he decks with heavy corks. makeup. He yes. had heavy makeup on. Yes. I recognize his voice. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, now another interesting point uh, for this uh, movie is that this movie is also where the timelines diverge for the mirror universe. So if you've oh. ever wanted to figure that out, this is the this is the point. So the point is that as we see in this movie, um, Zephram Cochran doesn't believe Riker and company when they tell him about them being time travelers from the future and they've come back in time to stop the Borg from assimilating everything else, right? They tell him their full story. No cover stories. No, we're going to blank your mind later on. They just lay it all out for the guy because – Whatever. Screw timelines. Well, to be fair, uh, Troy says that she tried telling him, but he didn't believe their cover story. Well, that just means that but Troy that is a very, very terrible liar. So, well, she's also a drunk by that. She's yeah. drunk, and she can't control herself anymore at that point, yeah. So, which is a hilarious scene, but keep going. <laughs> so the point, is, the point is that where the timelines diverge is that after our heroes leave and go back to the future... Zephram Cochran has to make a choice. He can either double down 
and be like fearful of all aliens and we're not going to do this because there's obviously terrible ones up there trying to kill us or we can embrace this future this bold new world that these these future people told me about and right. that's where it divulges so or diverges so in our universe yeah in in the prime universe he greets the vulcans warmly he embraces them he shakes their hand as we see in the movie he shakes their hand and this begins the ushering in of peace in the mirror universe when the vulcan steps down and offers his hand he pulls out a gun and he shoots him Ah. and so then it starts this fear-mongering of all aliens and this war mentality this militaristic mentality we must have better weapons we must be better prepared we must you know go to the stars with a vengeance not with idealism and exploration in mind so this that is the split so if you're uh if you ever wondered where where the roads truly diverged According to Star Trek, this is it. Now, you can watch a bunch of different episodes, and there's uh, other times where you could think of, no, it's split here. But when it comes to the uh, canon reference, this is the moment that is used. Interesting. Okay. All right. So that's pretty much all the Trek lore we're going to go into for right now. I'm sure there's going to be other things that pop up as we talk about this, ep- this movie, not episode, mm-hmm. movie. Um, but now that we've gotten that out of the way, of course, I want to ask you, like, what did you think of this movie? This is your, this is, again, we've already seen all the Next Generation stuff. You've already watched Generations. You're firmly in the camp of uh, Deep Space Nine now. We're season five. And here you go mm-hmm. back into with our TNG crew. So what did you think of this movie? Um, so I'll start with the, with just simply put, while James Cromwell is a great actor, all the stuff with his character of Cochrane on Earth is a, is unfortunately just a distraction from the much more interesting Borg storyline up on the Enterprise. Every time we go down to Earth to find out what's happening down there, it's yeah. Jordy's fixing the thing, and Riker is they're chasing him and they stun him, and he gets you know he falls into a stream and gets uh, Cochrane falls into a stream and gets wet. And Troy gets He doesn't drunk, fall trying. into a stream. He gets shot and he rolls down a mountain. Well, that's what I mean. Rolls he, down the he cliff. falls into a stream because he got shot. Yeah, I'm going to be very clear. Troy gets drunk, which is a funny scene. Um, and it's we also get uh, – what's uh, – Reg? Uh, the, Reg the Barkley. Funny... Mr. Yeah, Broccoli is yeah, back. Yeah, he shows up for a brief moment as uh, way too enthusiastic to meet Cromwell. He's probably the one who kind of pushes Crom – or not Cromwell um, – uh, Cochrane over the edge um, with his uh, enthusiasm, though it's Jordy saying, yeah, you have like a 20 meter stall, tall statue right where you're standing in the future. I went to your the school named after you. It, it, it's a lot. I, I think it's a funny reaction for him to be all like run away from all this. Uh, but we know that he's a guy who's very, I mean, he, he loves his alcohol. He's always got something going. Yeah. Um, but then also, like, the fact that Jordy and Riker are the ones who make the trip with him. Like, if there were three seats on this ship to start, who are the two people that were supposed to have gone on this voyage that didn't because Riker and Jordy so, kind of butted in? <laughs> so the so the lore would have been that it was supposed to be Lily, who is currently up on the Enterprise with Picard. Right. And then some yeah. other person who most likely died when the in Borg the were doing the their attack. So that's why Fair there's enough. two vacant that's, seats. That's a reasonable explanation for what it should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that that means that, okay, fine. I'm just pointing out that 
it feels like Riker and Jordy kind of like don't have anything else to do in this movie. So mm. hey, we'll have them join the the the, the vo- maiden voyage. Um, now, of course, Riker, played by Jonathan Frakes, Jonathan Frakes was directing, so it makes sense for him to want to take a step back. He's directing the movie overall. Why uh, try and act and direct at the same time? Uh, LeVar Burton, who plays Jordy, I don't know that he directed anything in this movie, but we know he has directed episodes, so I imagine yeah. he might have been great as like a second he's, person to help out. So he's directed but, a lot of episodes. I know that Jonathan Frakes had directed a few episodes up to this point, but he was the first one, as far as I understand it anyway, he was the first one to really get a shot at the major motion picture doing doing that. And it actually became like uh, just like a great launching point for him because he became kind of their go-to person for right. for filming Trek afterwards. In fact, no one has filmed nearly as much Star Trek as Jonathan Frakes. He, um, I mean, every every show since Next Generation, he's directed several episodes of, and uh, with I think Discovery being the show that he's done um, the most directing of. Uh, if, right. I'm, if I'm not mistaken, but which makes sense, yeah. And then you know, it's even to the point where the movies, because obviously there are more next generation movies coming up for you, by the way, um, which you can now watch at any time because they don't really have any bearing on the rest of Deep Space Nine, so you can watch those okay. whenever you want. But there are the ones that were clearly directed by Jonathan Frakes, and then there's the ones that weren't, and you can <laughs> you can tell. So yeah. Um, in fact, there's one in particular I'm thinking of that everybody is just like it's awful, and it's because the director didn't know anything about Star Trek, didn't really want to have anything to do with Star Trek, didn't really like Star Trek, and even though wow. there was a campaign to have Jonathan Frakes direct the movie, they decided to go with this other guy, and we get this steaming pile of movie. So, <laughs> so I'm just gonna go ahead and ask which one that is, because just for fun, we can talk about it real fast. Because I think is that um the one where they have uh, uh trying to think. I, I know I'll I was, tell you. So I'll just tell nemesis. you. Yes, it's Nemesis, right? It's yeah. Nemesis. It's the last one featuring the Next Generation cast, and it's pretty much widely accepted that uh, it's the movie that killed further movie projects in general it performed right. so poorly it was just so poorly received and even right. the acting jobs of all of our main cast plus a very young tom hardy uh couldn't yeah. save the terrible directing writing production of this right. of this film so. okay so knowing that that one is two ahead uh, there's there's two movies that'd be the sec of the next movies that's two away and I know I've heard that Star Trek, it's like every other film, like the odd ones or the good ones or the bad yeah, ones. Something, yeah, something like that. It's like, yeah, the no, the even ones are the good ones. I think that's supposed to be how that goes. Okay. Well, I have to go back and take a look at that because I mean, because it really just kind of depends on what you're in the mood for. Like Star right. Trek Four is the one with the whales, as everybody calls it, and depending on who you talk to, that movie's a lot of fun. And then to other people, it's right. just it's awful. So gotcha. yeah, it just kind of depends on where you are. Whereas Star Trek Six well, is great. Because you love the Wrath of Khan, so yeah. And that's number two, and then okay. you know. Number three is a, a much more somber movie, so I, I can understand people saying that it's not necessarily their favorite. Then number four kind of gets the right. crew back together. Number five, 
that's a that's a Shatner flick all day long, and it's got some great elements, but it's just it's not that great. And then number six is nice; it's a nice finish for them. Then of course you've got right. Generations next after that, so that'd be number seven. Eh, you know, this is the eighth film; it's great. Then the next one would be Insurrection. And that's not bad. It's got F. Murray Abraham in it. Not a bad film. It gets a little right. soft in some places, but it's not bad. And then after that, then comes Nemesis. And Nemesis is just like, ugh, thank God we made it to 10, because uh, that's it. Gotcha. And there I still to... want to watch Nemesis simply to see Tom Hardy, because mm-hmm. as you said, you know, he's, he's popular now, but I know that that did. Kind of... That was very early on. That was very early on in his getting into Hollywood experience. And right. then, uh, and then every movie that we've had of Star Trek after that has been a reboot. It's been the reboot cast of you know the yeah. original series, which I'm I was thrilled when the reboot when the first one came out. Don't get me wrong, I did see it several times, but now right. I'm just like I I would much rather y'all move on. Like I would love it if they would just do an all new movie called Star Trek, and it had a completely different cast, no familiar names whatsoever. We're just starting you <laughs> off brand new with right. this with this group and go. Right. I'd also like right. to see D Space Nine movie, but that's neither here nor there. So <laughs> uh while we're talking about cast members, uh I'm reading here on Wikipedia that apparently they didn't ask Whoopi Goldberg to come back as Guinan, which if we remember remember, Guinan has a history with the Borg. Mm-hmm. So her absence actually is kind of a, a thing. According to Wikipedia here, she didn't like get called up at all like um they just didn't do it didn't even yeah didn't even say hey we're thinking about doing this movie you want you want to be here she's just like no one even called her uh which is too bad i mean i don't know how but guyan would have played in with the story but yeah i mean it's mostly i i wouldn't be surprised at all if that's one of those situations where um she's too expensive and so they couldn't justify, considering that your A story is Picard still dealing with his trauma from being assimilated, and your B story is this first contact situation, where would you put Guinan in that? And trying to figure out a way that would not only work her character in, but also justify her character being there and justify the price that it would require to get Whoopi to do the to reprise right. that role. Probably and all those to factors fair, together. And to be fair, yeah. this is a whole new ship. It's still the Enterprise, yeah. but it's a whole new Enterprise ship. Makes sense that cast or the crew of the ship has changed pretty drastically. Yeah. Even if our main cast is the same. Uh, I mean, heck, even Worf isn't on Worf the Enterprise isn't on anymore. the Enterprise anymore, right? And I mean, yeah. and, and so if you want to go out of universe, I feel like there's just there were a lot of things probably here they were ticking off that were just eating into expenses. They had to create an all new massive model of the Enterprise to use uh, for this movie. They, you know, there's new uniforms, new sets, new just new everything. Plus, they're filming on location. There's all the stuff that's going on here, and then you've got, you know, again James Cromwell. He's a pretty big uh, grab for them as well for a Star Trek production. Um, Alfre Woodward, who's playing uh, Lily Sloan in this movie, uh, she's also a pretty big grab for them. You've seen her in a lot of things, too. Um, she was in the one that comes to my mind right now. She's in one of the um, Avengers movies uh, yeah. briefly. You know, so. She had a brief line, but she actually had more to do in the um, 
was it the uh, the Jessica Jones show? Like the I think she was. I think that's right. I think she either Jessica Jones or, or Luke Cage. Luke Cage. Was Luke yeah, Cage show. that's right. The Luke Cage show. Uh, she was playing two different characters in the Marvel universe, but the idea is the TV show was in the Marvel universe, but it never had quite the direct tie-ins as other things did. But anyway, yes, I recognized her when she showed up. Like I knew I knew her face, but I couldn't remember where I'd seen her from, and so mm-hmm. I you know, looked her up later. Um, so she's there, and then Neil McDonough Donough plays Hawk, who is the new um, young ensign, Hawk, Lieutenant Hawk. I forget. He's the yeah, yes, he's the helmsman who eventually gets assimilated, and then yeah, try, stomps on Picard's uh, faceplate when they're the, when yeah, they're on the, the zero G really detail. Was Worf, Picard, and Worf? I'm sorry, uh, Hawk go out. Worf, Picard, and Hawk go out on the outside of the Enterprise to stop a bunch of Borgs from completing their like radar dish. They're going to use yeah, to send the, their message. The interplexing to the beacon to the Delta Quadrant. Yes. And during that, they have to each go to one of three terminals to to manually override. And uh, Worf gets into a fight with his. Uh, one of his blades, the Mechleth, the Klingon yeah. Mechleth, which he has somehow managed to slip in between the pack and has al- and also able to whip it out and not rip his Enviro suit at yeah. all, comes out clean and yeah. is just hacking away at these Borg uh, yeah. while while Picard and Hawk fight it out on the other side, and yeah. then they you know they survive, of course, and he blows up the. Uh, disc. Well, Hawk with is a, assimilated, a... but yeah, yeah, Hawk is looking down at what he's doing too long, and he gets grabbed overboard. And Picard has a fun moment where he turns off his mag boots and jumps, floats and across goes to where Hawk yeah. was, and finishes See, Hawk's job. So many, and Hawk so many special effects. And... So many yeah, special was, effects great. for this movie. The best special effect was when um, I guess it, I think it was Hawk shot one of the Borg right at the beginning of the fight. And his body, like zero gravity, floats and bounces off. It was great. It was well done. And he's just, I mean, it really Borg tumbling in space. Yeah, you know? it was fun. It was like, yeah, they're really trying to make sure this looks real. Um, yeah, this is like the first time I remember them ever putting on any sort of exosuit. I mean, Picard says to Warp, "Do you remember your uh, zero combat training?" And Warp says, "Yeah, it made me sick." <laughs> <laughs> A uh, fun little moment, and then when Worf gets attacked, or he attacks the guy, the you know, the Borg comes at him and he cuts him up. But the the Borg, as he's dying, you know, rips Nixus, a hole in his knee. Nixus suit, yeah, gets a little knee and, damage. And so he takes the dude's arm with the wire hanging off of it, uses that as a basically like what a, a tourniquet. Not what a trophy! Leg, it, what a trophy! Yeah. Oh, oh, you ripped my suit. Uh, give me your arm. I'm just gonna take <laughs> yeah. that and tie that around here. That cord that I just hacked off of you give me that yeah. and that's that's good enough to seal me up the art when he cuts the arm off the board character the arm goes but like the wire was still attached so like, like it's the, just dangling there the in cinemat- space <laughs> yeah but the cinematography remind like made sure you noticed there was this wire so when you come back to wharf like 60 seconds later and he's got it tied around you know exactly where it came from uh-huh. and there's this hand just limp there just <laughs> hanging hanging about chest high next yeah. to wharf and then yeah. Worf gives the classic, you know, late '90s action guy line: "Assimilate this." Yeah, and it it's blows a great the line. thing it's up. So, true. <laughs> it's so yeah, oh, that's a great uh, line. You're right. That line Assimilate couldn't have been this. delivered to be- been delivered better if it came out of Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> that's just so the. True. That's oh, it. Yeah, yeah, it's true. 
they were um, definitely having their their hero moments in uh, yeah. in this episode. Yeah, and the reason I mentioned that like Jordy and Riker are not there is because initially it's it's Picard who goes down to the planet, and then he calls Riker down, and then he goes back up, and so Riker's down on the planet. But like having Riker and Jordy not up on the station, like Jordy in particular, to not help out with some of the things that are happening, it's kind of a bummer. And just the sense that, like, he's our engineering guy. Well, so if you uh, remember, the reason that they called Jordy down was because they thought they had killed the Borg. And then right. they, when they went down and they found Zephram's ship, the Phoenix, it was damaged from the attack. True. So he called right. down the engineering team to get it fixed as quickly as possible. He yes. says, we've got 48 hours to get this done. And so that's why Jordy goes down. Then, right. later on, he switches places with Riker because he has more experience dealing with the Borg. He recognizes that the Borg is still somewhere, but the right. ground team still needs leadership. So he right. trades places with Riker so that he can deal with the Borg problem on the Enterprise, and Riker right, right, can oversee right. what's going on down on the ground. That's why they're there. Yeah, I, I'm not saying I don't understand why. I'm just saying I'm, I'm sorry their characters were missed during the more, again, the, the action, on the, Earth, the fighting scene. Yeah, the action is up yeah. top. Um, so let me put it this way. While I was reading about the making of this movie, apparently they were, uh, talking about what to do for the movie and they talked about having a Borg being the enemy and then someone else wanted to do a time travel story. So they're like, let's do both. Boom. And, um, fine. I, it, but the way they chose to tell the story meant that Jordy and Riker and Troy were left out of the main action. Yeah. I, I, I'm, it just is what it is. I'm just saying that it'd been nice to have all seven of our main crew members oh, I, I having see what you're to saying. work it out. I, I see what you're all saying. The same yeah. task. If they had just focused on the Borg element, like I don't know how the Enterprise. Like, let's, let's say the Enterprise somehow got the, the Borg jumped on there, and then they forced the ship to like jump way out into space. So that's why the Enterprise is isolated from everyone else. It's not that they're in the past. Let's say they're. You know, way deep. They're like heading toward the, the Delta Quadrant the whole time. You know, they're in warp the whole time, and they can't they're get in out like, of warp. They're something. in like super high velocity warp, and they've got to stop the ship before it crosses the threshold to the Delta Quadrant or whatever. Yeah, something like that. I honestly would have preferred that storyline, uh, simply because again, it would have kept our main crew together. And as I've said multiple times, time travel stories for me. I always have like a sensitivity to how they tell the story. Mm -hmm. And so it's fun that they, as you described earlier, that they keep the elements of like, yeah, the sphere fell to earth. And then in an episode from a show, that's not even, you know, it's like almost 10 years away. They remember that detail and make use of it. Yeah. Um, but the idea of changing history is always like, Oh, I mean, now that the enterprise can just warp to the past, whatever they want, because they remember how the Borg did it. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's another instance of like, well, oh, hey, we figured out time travel and we're never well, going to do it again. <laughs> well, that's the beauty of time travel in Star Trek. So there's actually a lot of different ways you can get or you can do time travel forward or back, depending on yeah. what show you're on. Probably the most famous one, which if you go and watch the movie, this is the one that they use. You can, if you gain enough speed, you can slingshot your ship around the sun and it will put you into time warp and send you forward or back in time as long as you get the calculation right to do whichever one it is that you want. That's how that whole movie works. It's not the first time they've done it. The original series crew, because the reason they do it in that movie is because they know that it works because they did it before on the, on the show. Um, right. Then there's always the space... Ver 
vortex vertices, something or another you can find that will also send you back in time. There's various aliens that can just, you know, snap their fingers and send you wherever they want. Um, right. There's just all these little little tips and tricks that they use in Trek to affect time travel. Heck, even, you know, right. on Deep Space Nine, find yourself the, the right orb, it'll send you wherever you want. You know, so <laughs> yeah. so time travel is uh, is a you, not a, definitely not a straight arrow. You can do it right. any which way that you want. Um, yeah. yeah, Star Trek they like, they love to do it. They yeah, definitely love to, and they love to come up with new ways to do it. There's never right. a concrete. This is the definitive way to do it. It's always right. every time time travel comes up, it's through some new mechanism we've never considered or heard of before. That getting is it true. Done. And I certainly would not say that first contact is somehow wrong to do it. It's it's a trope at this point. Heck, mm. Deep Space Nine did like two time travel stories back to back, like just this season. So oh, like, we're not done. We're oh, not I know. done. I know we're not. <laughs> so like, all right, it's a thing. It happens. They kind of change the rules as they go. In fact, at this point, I'm more interested in having those agents from the time travel agency, whatever they were called. Uh, come around and just the question temporal, everybody yeah. every time. Yeah, like I would have loved if this episode had ended with the two of them, uh, like knocking on Picard's door or something. You know, hey Picard, yeah. <laughs> so this, so this is one of those Easter eggs we get to talk about because if you remember in that episode when those two agents showed up, the guy was like, and we ran into the Enterprise. He's like, which Enterprise? There have been five, and the guy corrects <laughs> him and says six. This yep. is it. The Enterprise yeah. E. So with yeah. that, I think it's a nice little segue. Let's talk go. about the USS Enterprise E. Mm-hmm. Brand new design, whole new concept, whole new team designing. Not just the exterior, but the interior, the look of the bridge, the yeah, corridors, all of the engineering section. Sick Bay gets an upgrade. We're going to talk Enterprise and upgrades because there are a lot that we see in this episode. Again, episode. A lot <laughs> that we see in this movie, and yeah. I think they all deserve uh, a little bit of time. So, yes, let's first start with the Enterprise E. What did you think of that big, bold, beautiful ship? I, I'm not partial yeah. at all. Uh, <laughs> not at all. But what did you think? Well, um, it certainly looks more militaristic. It's got a yes. darker, more streamlined look. The bridge is more like the the previous bridge of the of the D was bright and minimal, and open. very open, minimal seating. Um, but a lot of people were usually in there, especially in the back, like behind the chairs. Like there's a bunch of people at the various sensors doing this and that. And it was very open to like running scientific experiments to we got, you know, a, a military situation. We need to fight it out. Uh, but this one definitely seems more streamlined outside and inside. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's kind of sexier in that sense. But I definitely feel that nostalgia for the old design that it, the old one felt like this one feels again just more militaristic, so it mm-hmm. kind of feels like it loses some of that idea that it's a, it's primarily a diplomacy ship. It's a ship that primarily is there on peaceful missions as opposed to militaristic ones. And the older ship, the previous version, definitely felt more stately, more elegant in its um, being open and kind of bright. This one getting me more dark and sleek. Um, so, are you saying you like this one more? So. Yes, I do like this one more, um, as it is a 
it's just like what you said it's a more streamlined much more powerful design this ship to me is what you would want on a mission of deep space exploration now the reason that we are given for the size and the you know the the grandeur of the galaxy class was the fact that it was supposed to be that very regal stately thing but it was also about taking people to uh, colonize new planets so that's right. why there was so much extra space for storage and for people for personnel right. and um you know it was designed so that when you did have guests that came on board they were impressed with the fact that it was such an uh open and more communal uh feel to the ship right. and if you remember several times when you're watching next generation when they're walking through the ship how many areas did you see that were set up where you could just kind of like just sit like you were walking through the park and there'd be like a random you know bench whatever set up where you could be sitting or they had how many gymnasiums and arboretums and observation decks and lounges and all kinds of stuff that was all designed towards um comfort and ease right Whereas this ship is much more streamlined. The Galaxy class was a ship that was had 42 decks. As we find out here, this ship has 24 decks. Okay, yes, definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely more compact. Uh, going along with that that streamlined look, but it's also way more powerful. All new upgraded uh, uh, technology, state of the art weapons. We see quantum. Photon, tor they're quantum torpedoes, not quantum photon torpedoes. For uh, quantum torpedoes, they've got uh, different types of shields. They've got way more phaser arrays. That thing was firing like crazy when it was uh, going around the cube in the first part of the uh, movie. You know, laying out some devastating damage. Again, to me, that says like you still have people who are trained for diplomacy and politicking and all that other kind of stuff on the ship, right. but when they need muscle to back them up as they most likely will in those deep space far removed from support situations you want a ship that you know as cisco says has teeth and the uh and the enterprise certainly has its teeth so i yeah. and i really like the look i think that it's um i like the darker design i like the darker interiors with the uh, darker beige and the red carpeting and the burgundy carpeting and stuff like that. The bridge is more compact, but it's got more, uh, more technology is evident. There's more stations for people. Um, you know, yeah. Riker is able to get some information on the planet and, the, and, and everything else right away on the bridge. And it's not all coming just from data sitting down here. It's from multiple yeah. positions. They can get things Worf is able right. to step in and has a position right away. You know, like all those things to me were were great. You know, even Deanna sitting at the card side, she's got her own, you know, uh, heads up display, basically relaying her information as well. Instead of on the Enterprise D, she's just kind of sitting there. She doesn't really seem to have anything to do, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's just like, yeah. Yeah, that, that always bothered me a little bit. Like even Riker, when yeah. he's sitting at the card side on the Enterprise D, he had a little, <laughs> you know, a little panel. That he could, you know, assess mm -hmm. information from. Meanwhile, she's just like, yeah, I'm just gonna sit yeah. here and look cute to live my thumbs. I just look cute you know? and, and and feel feelings. I feel feelings. Yeah. There are feelings that I'm being felt. At least on this one, <laughs> she could pretend to have something to do, uh, review information, maybe help with, you know, evac situations, call up, you know, call up stats and whatever else. All of those things that she's able to do uh, right. with this supposed new display. 
right. we go to and we go to uh, sick bay first. Uh, the doctor has um, you know new tricorders. There's new a new layout in sick bay. It's mm-hmm. way more geared towards service and not so much comfort. So right. like the other sick bay was very big, very open and calming and whatever else. This one is like. Turn and burn, man. If you're not sick, get out. You know that I like that. And then, of course, we get to see the emergency medical holographic program, which is yes a bit of technology that we got to see first, actually, on Star Trek Voyager. And then, of course, mm-hmm. they've now brought it on to the Enterprise yeah. E as the latest and greatest technology. So, what did you think and of I, the EMH? Even, yeah, even though I haven't seen Voyager, I know the, who the character is and that he's a medical program. And like recently. Again, I've told you that, like on my YouTube feed, I've been finding more Star Trek sixty-minute uh, uh, clips. Keep coming you've been up. sucked and into the them, YouTube algorithm. <laughs> oh yeah, man, it, it's got me. Um, but there's, it must. I assume it's an episode from Deep Space Nine because it's about Doctor Bashir, and it uh-huh. must be in the future because the guy who plays the the Doctor, but the, the EMH. EMH said, okay, I, the I know guy, what you're talking the, about. Because well, I'll just say the scene, and you can correct me if I've got anything wrong, but there's a guy who created the EM-8. He's a technician, mm-hmm. but he based the, the hollow model on himself. Yes. And so it's not the character per se from Voyager, but it's definitely the same program, at least the base version. Yes. And then there's a Dr. Bashir version being created. Yes. And the Dr. Bashir version talks smack about the, the original in that little clip. So to give you that little – the EMH backstory. So the guy that you see who created, his name is Dr. Lewis Zimmerman. He is a genius when it comes to holographic technology, and right. uh, he has created this inter- interactive, fully functional doctor so that in the event that your your actual person doctor – dies or is incapacitated or otherwise unavailable you have medical staff and you don't have to worry about not you know being left without a doctor in in star trek voyager when the uh, when the doctor dies on that show he is replaced by the emh and it becomes this instead of it being a short-term supplementary program he becomes a long term he is the doctor and all the little complications that come with that in the episode right. that you're talking about in Deep Space Nine, which of course we'll get to, what the, in that brief scene, what they're doing is, due to the success of the emergency medical program, they now want to upgrade it, and they're trying to model right. it off of a new doctor, and Bashir right. has been selected to be the EMH Mark II. So they're trying to, you know, figure that yeah, out. Yeah, he's... Bashir's wearing the new suit, so I yes. definitely know it's up. It's coming. Yet. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's it's going to come. I think it's I think it's actually towards the end of season five, so we'll okay. we'll get there really I'll soon. I'll keep an eye out. Yeah, but yeah, his his scene was funny because you know uh, Doctor Crusher and and uh, the others need to escape from sick bay from the Borg that are trying to break in. Mm-hmm. So she turns him on and says, "I need you to create a distraction." He's like, "I'm a doctor, what are you not a doorstop." <laughs> Yeah, door, that's a great line. It was a great line. What a doorstop. And then when they come on, he says, uh, I understand the Borg, you know, they get kind of uh, itchy, unpleasant Unpleasant uh, skin. Feeling. It makes your skin look terrible. I can get yeah. you a cream for that if, yeah, you, if and, you want. <laughs> and then, I, I mean, he's a hollow thing, so I, I forget what they do exactly to him. But uh, They just deactivate him. He, they, he's, yeah. they don't see him as a threat, and there's nothing they exactly. can really do to him. So right. deactivating him is most likely what happened to him there. So, right, exactly. So it's a funny moment, and again, the great crossover moment as well. Yeah, Voyager. 
So for all of the shows, it's a nice tie-in for continuity that this technology is is seen here on all of these uh, shows and ships and so forth. Right. Now another bit of technology that um, we should talk about: Jordy's eyes. Jordy oh, gets yes, Jordy right? gets an upgrade. So as yeah. you know, all throughout Next Generation, he had that big visor on which was you know susceptible to all kinds of things he's his brain gets hijacked at one point by some romulans and klingons yeah and then they yeah and then they do it again with uh, in generations they spy on the enterprise via his visor you know so the visor is a bit of a liability and maybe they recognize that able to see things that weren't normally available to even to human eyes but he also refused to get mechanical eyes yes. he was like kind of has like I he didn't know the they didn't want him focus on he it, didn't but. dr pulaski offered him the ability to regrow his eyes and oh, he said and he said right. no and now we see that they have upgraded his implants which is you know, to fully functioning yeah upgraded the visor right. to fully functioning implants as we see there a nice electric blue he can still yes. do a lot of cool very things bright. with them. Very, very bright. It's Before alarming. Borg must have been putting it in contacts that were really painful. Yeah. I, I read that uh, the woman who played the Borg Queen was having like can only do it for four minutes at a time with the contacts she had in. Ugh. But yeah, his eyes, Jordy's eyes, they can like zoom. They can see like heat signatures. So they're still upgraded eyes compared to normal. He hasn't like lost his special uniqueness because he's got something new. Uh, but it is a great way to show the character has changed since we last yeah. saw him. And now, uh, and now we get to yeah. see all of LeBar Burton's face. We don't have to yes. you know, have half of his head blocked off by that terrible yeah. you know headband that he had screwed on I still on don't know how he acted through that thing after seven seasons of a show. There are Man, so many he, stories he was... that he tells about how he could barely see anything and yeah. – you know, they, they they block off the stage so everybody can know their positions and stuff. And he was constantly, like, messing it up because Way he couldn't off. see. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure he was really glad that they were like, you know what? Solve the problem. <laughs> Here you go. Lens crafters called. Was right. seven years, buddy. <laughs> That's right. Contacts are a thing, man. We got you. Yeah. We got you. Yeah. So. Um, real quickly, before we move on, I was, I was thinking also, back going back to the ship, the Enterprise, um, when Worf beams aboard... Uh, they give him a hard time. They said, Dude, your little ship is fine. He's like, little? Yeah. Huh? Tough, tough little ship. <laughs> little. Yeah, little. Which... And then Riker <laughs> pulls his leg. He's like, uh, you still know how to work phaser banks, right? Or no, phasons. Yeah, you still Worf... know how to fire phasers. And Worf's look of just, I will kill, I'm gonna you, kill you right now. Yes. I will kill you. <laughs> I absolutely will kill you. Which is great because it, it does lead up to that fantastic conflict or uh, confrontation between Worf and Picard where Picard Such is like, I don't want to self Well, wait, yeah. before we get there, cause I, cause yes, it is a great scene, but I, I do want to hold it. Hold yeah. It just on. a little bit. I do want to, yeah, 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 yeah. because I now want to, we're jumping all over the place, which is fine. I don't care. I hope everybody is okay yeah. with this and can follow along. It's, it's the excitement guys. There's so much about this movie right. that we want to talk about. It's the excitement. So one thing that you said, um, you're talking about Zephyr Cochran and you know, he's a drunk and he's a, you know, he's a, partier and whatever else i know that you were saying that you didn't really appreciate that that much i really did and the reason mm-hmm. i appreciated it is because whenever we hear about these kind of famous pivotal people in history right they're always presented to us as these just almost otherworldly people who just knew something that the rest of us didn't and they speak right. with such 
grandeur and resonance and gravitas, you know, and everything is supposed to be taken with this, oh man, they were just, they just knew they were important from the day they took their first breath, right? And then, you know, it takes a while before we actually start to find out other things about them and, and, you know, realize, yeah, they, I mean, they, don't get me wrong, they had great ideas, but they were also like, some of them were, were bastards, just to, just say it. Um, that's what, that's what, to me, is them capturing here with Sephiroth Cochran. Every other representation of Cochran up to this point was that he was this brilliant man who just only ever thought of the future of humanity and, oh, and propelling okay. them forward. And I do this because it's my dream, you know? And right. then he's, and he's like, yeah, I did it because I wanted money. I yes. want to retire and get, have naked ladies dancing around me. He even tells them, I don't even like to fly. I take trains. Yeah. Like right. he, he's not doing this for some loftier, whatever. He's doing it because he wants to get paid. And right. I just love that because, you know, Riker's even like, well, you know, history will bear out and, you know, like he even quotes him back to him eventually. Yeah. Don't try yeah. to be a great man, just be a man and let history make its own determination. And it's yeah. a great it's a great setup because again it is a great it's a great setup, but it's also a great yeah. setup because if you flash forward to Enterprise Zephyr Cochran makes an appearance there as well, and he is doing the full-on standing with his arms crossed, man of the future. <laughs> Upon this site, an important endeavor will be got, will be started, or whatever it is he says. And it's just, he's doing the whole pompous thing, and I'm like, um, literally saw you drink the counselor under the table uh, a couple years <laughs> yeah. ago, so n- nice, yeah. nice try, guy. And I nice assume... Try. um. Cromwell is still playing him in yes. Enterprise. Car- yeah. Cromwell does reprise his role for that so, cameo. So, another great example of Star Trek being able to use its history of its own shows to Further enrich its own world, parts. to enrich its own yeah. world, yes. So that, that makes sense. I understand why then, yeah, you, you appreciate those scenes. Yeah. That makes sense. It's part of a larger, larger storytelling, ultimately, yeah. yeah. I so. mean, it's just like, you know, when uh, I, I always think about, like, Abraham Lincoln, for example, we always treat him with such a, again, such a reverence, which is fine, but at the same time, there are so many stories of, like, Lincoln at a young age who used to just fight people. Like, if yeah, you didn't, yep. if you didn't agree with that. him or whatever, he would just, he would fight you. And he, he was like, wrestling. He, he loved wrestling. Wrestle. Right. <laughs> and he had no problem with just daring you to wrestle, like, on the spot. And he would just take yeah. you down. He didn't care. You know, he was a strong guy. And he was a big guy, big for that time period. I mean, we always exaggerate Lincoln's height, but I believe that they said at one point he was, he was maybe like 6'3, 6'4, which still extremely tall for that time period. Right. But. <clears throat> A bit more conventional now, but yeah, um, but yeah, he would fight people. He had no problem right. with just decking you, you know. Right. Um, the same is true of uh, of Roosevelt. You know, Roosevelt was right. all about just kind of getting getting dirty and just doing things. Uh, right. And yeah, he gave great speeches or whatever. But I mean, the man. Yeah, he he also wrestled. He also fought. Didn't there was at one point? Didn't he get shot and then still gave a speech anyway? Um, Lincoln? I don't know no, 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 not Lincoln. Roosevelt. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, Roosevelt. Yes, you had moved on. I think yeah. that's actually true. I think Roosevelt had like a bullet in him. Like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he got shot. He was supposed to be giving a speech, and he got oh, shot, right. and he just yeah, kept, he still he kept going. Yeah, he was like, yeah. Yeah, I'm not stopping. I mean, yeah. 
by the way, Lincoln was six four. According to I, I said six three, yeah. six four. You know, you were right. Yeah, just just confirming you were right. Yeah, um, yeah, you're totally. I yeah, it's it's, it's great that you're pointing that out that the character because he also showed up on the original show, you know, the original Star Trek show. This character has a richer history than this one movie might otherwise mm-hmm. indicate. Like myself, I didn't know any of that history. Yeah. So it's just like, ah, this character, come and, he can come and go as, as he likes because, you know, I'm ready to move on to other more interesting stuff. Um, but, yeah, that's that's great. That he, I mean, it, of course he'd be a character that would be visited at a time or two. He's, he's got a history that's so important to Star Trek he's, as a whole. He's a focal he point. Yeah, he's a yeah, focal he's, point. Without him, there would have never been first contact with the Vulcans, which never would have started uh, the Federation and Starfleet and, and all of that. All of those things happened because... Of him right. and his and his invention, you know. Exactly. So yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a very pivotal character. I'm actually surprised that Star Trek didn't do more with him in other in other shows and iterations or whatever. Like I don't know why they didn't instead of doing the prequel Enterprise, go back further and let us see uh, that first contact and what happened after first contact. And yeah. moving through, because he, he obviously would have been the point man that the Vulcans right. continued to deal with. They didn't right. just land and say, oh, you built the ship, cool, you know, whatever. He would have always been their point of contact moving forward. So, I mean, I would have liked to see some of that. But then, you know, that also starts to get into that area of things about prequels that I hate. And I almost hate that I could put that out there, because I would hate for somebody to be like, we're going to do an all-new show, and it's this. Be the most boring show ever, because they, they never do them right. Right, yeah. Go do a. I mean, this is where the I guess the uh, travel to the past works out. Do an episode where you travel to the past, you answer some questions, and then you're done. <laughs> yeah. But then you also get into that worry of you're now trying to over-explain every single minute detail of a world building that you've done, and then you right. ruin it. Because as we've yeah. talked about before, the more specific you get on your world building, the more you get into trouble. Because now you have to explain the precise mechanics behind how something works, and right. when the science fails or the whatever it is fails, now your whole thing that you've built up topples like a house of cards. So yeah, right. don't do that. Don't do that, please. Yeah. Um, let's see. I have anything else that I wanted to talk to you about? Oh, yes, we have to talk about the date. When the Enterprise comes back in time, they arrive on April 4th, 2063. This is the day before first contact, um, or two days before April first contact. Um, 2063, man. So it's 2023 now. So that's only that's 40, 40 years, years away. Yeah. So do you think you'll still be around and well i mean world war three is supposed to have happened through now and then and well, what I mean, 700 million people have died according to the yeah, stats they give and according to both deep space nine and strange new worlds the world war three should be kicking off within the next three to five years give or take i don't know man i i think 2024 with everything going on especially here in america I don't know. Maybe they might be right. <laughs> they got uh, their timing down pretty well. Oh uh, well, uh, we'll need find to, out. But need to get started uh, on building my bunker then, because I want to. Yeah. I, I got. I got forty years to get through before yeah. I'm heading up to Bozeman <laughs> to angrily shake my cane. Where's the Vulcans? Where's the Vulcans? <laughs> yeah. This was all history, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's uh. It's always fun to kind of think about what things, what the future might hold. And it's also fun, I mean, as you've mentioned, and when we've gone to, we've talked about some of these um, histories being 
having to be kind of like retconned a bit because mm-hmm. uh, you know certain dates come and go and so oh the one date that was supposed to be like the date you know has come and gone in real life and so now they have to push it forward to oh now it's something else that triggered this particular event and it's a little bit further down um but i think you said at that point it's like just go ahead and have the alternate history like don't quit trying to retcon the history of of, of star trek like if, well, if this is the date when something is supposed to have happened and just because of the real world it didn't doesn't mean the star trek continuity can't just continue with that alternate history well right? that's what cause yes because that's what star trek was so good at for a while was they they would tell you about these events but they would never give you specific dates so when people were always trying to make things fit into a certain timeline that's where their issue would fall apart not star trek's issue because star trek never said solidly this was the day you know right but they got into some issues with that when they started giving out actual dates like in the deep space nine episode where bashir cisco and um dax are transported back in time and the whole bell riots everything happened they give us a date so that's how we knew when that was supposed to happen now in this movie they've given us yet another date so we know where we're supposed to be with certain other things. Um, Strange New Worlds. Also, they are the ones who kind of fudge the timeline a bit when it comes to when um, the Third World War is supposed to have happened because they, they don't they don't say, but they also give you a little bit of clues that tell you that it's, again, sometime in the late 2020s to 2030s, it's in there somewhere. Um, You know, so yeah, and then, you know, Riker even says here, oh, you know, it's, what, a decade after World War III? Uh, so we know now that World War III would have had to have ended sometime in the 2050s to to 2040s to 2050s. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of information here that kind of throws off timelines, but they're losing their ability to fudge things the more they do stuff like this. And I don't want them to do, I don't want them to lose that. Um, because yeah, you're right. Like the longer that they can hold that off on giving us clear dates on things, the more you can stretch your story, <coughs> stretch your story and include other things in it. And, um, Star Trek is too old of a franchise to, um, lose that now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they still celebrate First Contact Day. If you play Star Trek Online, as a matter of fact, every year on April the 5th, you can log on and uh, go to Bozeman, Montana, and take part in First Contact activities. You can launch your own mini um, uh, Phoenix. You can tour the site. You can see the statue. You can do all of these things. You can listen to music in the bar. You can see right. the the site where the Vulcan ship landed because it's uh, it's there. It's kind of what they did in Lower Decks as, as well. You can go there and all these things are set up to kind of take you through a historical um, blast from the past there. So if you're interested at all, go play the game, go to Bozeman, see the stuff. I, I love that about Star Trek, how even on the supplementary things, the franchising things, they still incorporate a lot of this stuff and make right. it to where you can be as much or as little a part of it as you want to. Right, right. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, you did Star Trek Online for a bit. I did. Right? When, when the game first came out, probably... 20 years ago now I remember when I got it and it was a monthly subscription it was $15 a month 
to play it. And now it's free. Now you don't. You just got to download it and you can play it. Um, but yeah, it was fifteen dollars a month. They didn't really have a whole lot of content. Um, right. There was like one major storyline you could play through, which a lot of it was had the voiceover by uh, Leonard Nimoy as Spock. Um, mm-hmm. As far as I know, the game still starts that way. It still starts with Leonard Nimoy's Spock giving you a bit of an introduction. And then right. as you take any number of missions and whatever else, it can it leads you through a bunch of different stuff. They update fairly regularly. Multiple actors from Star Trek have now lent their voices for their characters on the game. I know that just recently, um, Kate Mulgrew, who plays Captain Janeway, uh, was featured in a multi-story arc um, that actually ended up tying her in with uh, Lita from Deep Space Nine, with Tilly from Discovery, Dr. Crusher, uh, Wesley Crusher, um, even at some point, uh, Chekhov and Scotty are there. Uh, there's other missions. Uh, Harry Kim from Voyager is there, Seven of Nine, Tuvok, uh, Major Kira shows up. I mean, they they all kind of come back in in some regard. I know that Jordy LaForge is there, Worf is there, Riker is there, Deanna's there. I think the only ones who really aren't there are people who've either unfortunately, well, people who've either unfortunately passed on or for whatever reason they're like like I don't think Picard, I don't think Patrick Stewart has lent his voice yet. No. Um, Avery Brooks has not. Um, I don't think William Shatner has either, but uh, pretty much everyone else has. If they are living, they have. Okay. You know. Interesting. So yeah, it's so if for no other reason than if you want to like experience new stories and new missions with those people, hearing their voices again, there's ample content online for you to do so. So go check it out. Um, you got to do a lot to get the ship that you want, though. They start you off with a dinky little Miranda class ship. But if you want any of the enterprises or the defiant or Voyager or whatever, you got to work for it. You can't pay for them. You can't just go in and buy them. You have to do missions to earn the points to get them. So be prepared for the grind, man. (laughs) Gotcha. Now, last but not least, we must talk about this particular character, the Borg queen. I was going to say, we haven't talked to her at all. Yeah. As we know, before this, there was no Borg Queen. The Borg had a very decentralized collective, uh, massive numbers of uh, individuals becoming one, and the hive mind making all the decisions. Now we find that the power behind that voice, behind that collective, is all streamlined into the... What do you want to call her? The scintillatingly creepy Borg Queen... Played yeah. by Alice Creed. That great, that great moment when she appears and she's just a, you know, the shoulders and head, the with shoulder the spine, with, the, with the wiggling and spine, just, and, and then she sits down into the body. body. Yeah, great, great creepy moment. Great uh, introduction to a character. Um, so as you just insinuated, this does seem to kind of retcon the board as we've understood them they are mm. not centralized there is no leader you know data asks are you the leader and she never says yes i mean so part of me feels like she doesn't say do- no either she says yes exactly she's what does she say her um 
you imply a disparity where none exists. So I always took that to mean, like, by him asking if she's the leader, he's basically saying, are you the one who... You're you're giving orders, and so what her what her response to him implies is that there is no order. There's no I'm not issuing decrees. We don't operate that way. It yeah. is uh, it's still an informed decision, but she is kind of the the clarion call for the decision. Basically, she's right. not enforcing her own will. She right. is just the amalgamation she, of the will of the collection. She is of the, the ultimate expression of the will. Yes. Of the board, which, yes. Which is actually kind of a fun and fascinating idea. Um, there's even some religious connotations to that as well, by the way. Um, you know, Jesus is the full image of the Father, kind of, you know, Jesus is... Anyway, so this, that kind of fits in there, as I'm getting at. Um, but part of me, I'll just put it directly, so many sci-fi series have a queen of some kind. Do you have an overly powerful enemy group that seems overwhelming in their power and just like they're just the worst give them a queen then and they have a central focus point and you know, now that you say that that is correct and then it's also especially if they're villainous yes if, if the if the enemy is like that and they're villainous how do we top their villainy we give them a queen who is right. more evil more sadistic right well, she's the driving them. force behind all of the alien evilness. Like yes. she, and and to be very clear, if they can just kill the queen, then they win. Now, I'll say two things to that. First off, as you know, I love Ender's Game, and I feel—I don't know if this is true or not—but I feel Ender's Game is the is the series that started this trope. But I also feel they did the best that Orson Scott Card did the best jo- job with the trope because the whole point behind the Ender's Game version of the trope is that it's an alien species and they are literally communicating on a level that's not understood by humans. So humanity and these formic aliens can't communicate with each other because the queens are the only ones that have any sort of individuality and they control the hive. And so when humanity realizes what the queens are, they know they have to kill the queens in order to stop the aliens. If they just kill the drones, it doesn't matter. And the aliens don't realize that humanity, everyone's an individual. And so they've been just kind of mass murdering just what they think are just like ants, just drones. They just think they're killing off drones. If they could find an equivalent queen mind to go with, then they would match up. So I feel like like Ender's Game does it in a very interesting Hmm. way. But then there's things like – I'm just – the most recent example I can think of because I, again, saw a clip on YouTube was Independence Day's sequel, uh, Resurgent or something. Yeah, yeah. And and terrible movie. I I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it. In the first movie, they don't have a queen. But in the second one, they have a queen, and she's massive, and she's huge, and she's got a gun. You know, like this giant alien thing is holding this gun around, and it looks so ridiculous. Anyway – Point is, they kill the queen. If you kill the queen, you usually kill all the aliens, and they all, like, their chips in their brains go turn off, and they can't communicate anymore. Now, the Borg queen, to be very clear, she dies along with all the other Borg. It's not like they kill her and everything ends. when Yeah, they, Ada... yeah they don't so much kill her, and then they all just drop. They release that coolant, and everyone in the room dies. Everyone that gets right. touched by the coolant dies. Right. Because, the only yeah. problem with that is that we don't see that every single Borg on the ship is affected. It does feel like they kind of miss that. I mean, if, if the idea is is that there are individual Borg that can go out and 
they can, as an individual Borg, start recreating themselves and recreating the 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 consciousness and 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 to technology and assimilating. They they can individually do that. Then we don't need the Borg Queen to be alive. So, but it does feel like that almost come what they're implying because she dies. There are no other Borg left to do it. So apparently. it's. I believe but. that the way that we're supposed to interpret that is that the Queen is. She's like a processor. And so she sends out all of the instructions. She's not making the instructions. She's just relaying it. It, They use her as a massive relay. So when the relay dies, the connection of all the drones is severed. So that's why they all die, because they lost their processor. That's what... So that's why they all... Because we do see when she starts to... When she falls into the stuff... And then she starts to break up and scream and deteriorate. The other Borg that were in their alcoves and were safe high up above, they also started screaming and exploding. And, you know, Picard does that that pass. He runs by them. And they're all tucked away in their alcove. Clearly should be safe. But they all start exploding and whatever else because that's what happens to her. But it's not so much because she was their queen and they're sacrificing themselves along with their leader. It's more because they lost the person who was giving them access to the greater mind. Right. Well, my, I guess my point in that my point is then is that because she is a, she fits the stereotype of the alien queen, you kill the alien queen and you defeat the army of the alien enemy. And again, I'm not saying that this is exactly this situation. Maybe, Maybe yep. it's just simplified that while the Borg Queen exists in this moment, she is the central point of like all the processing power per se. Yes. And in the moment, the Borg are affected, but the individual Borg units, if they aren't killed, could then get themselves back up and continue working. Maybe that's what would have happened yeah. if, 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 if they, they continued. If, if only she had fallen in the coolant and died, while there may have been some Borg that were affected, the collective itself should have adapted and then the other Borg would have continued on. So to that point, I will say this. As much as I love the Borg Queen, and in particular, Alice Creech, I think she does a fantastic job here. She does. Yes. I feel like... Creepy and sexy and then like, ugh, I don't... Why, Dana, why are you kissing that thing? (laughs) Like, why are you kissing her? But then I totally get why you're kissing her. So it's like, yeah. yeah. But all of that to say... um, I always have felt like the creation of the Borg Queen was the misstep for Star Trek. They never yeah. should have done it. Once once the Queen is created, it then gave... She became a plot point to use right. to make the Borg weaker and less threatening. And this is right. something that comes up later on in uh, Voyager because yeah. Janeway deals with the Borg a lot because, again, the Voyager's lost in Delta Quadrant. That's at the Borg home base, you know. Right. So um, it comes up a lot, and it's one of the main arguments that people use when they critique Voyager is that uh, Voyager made the the Borg dumber and accessible, and right. uh, therefore made them easier to defeat. When they were this right. ginormous barely comprehensible thing that operated truly from a hive mind. We saw no individuals. We saw no voices, no one voice. We saw no one body. It made them 
way more scary, way more yes. ominous, way more threatening. And they took I that down and gave us something 100%. to focus on. And I, I have to, like, again, I, I love Alice Creed. I've watched her in a lot. Right. Of, and, and even in this, I still think she did a great job. And I don't fault her at all. Right. It's the creation of the queen persona that I right. don't like. And I wish they had never done it. Well, yeah, I fully agree, and that's why I've been talking about the queen stereotype or trope. Um, but for me, I think like the moment when Picard comes and confronts her and says, you wanted Locutus as a conduit to humanity. You wanted him to kind of be the bridge between the two sides. Like, I, I, If she was that you on some You know what? Level, that's a great point. I see what you're going to say. Yes. If they had made her for the movie, right, but then said, you know, just throwing in that like, kind of a line there, just saying, in the same way that Locutus was to be a conduit to humanity, the right. queen has now been created to be a conduit to data. Because yes, they were focused exactly, on data. I feel like the movie is making that point. Up yeah. Until Picard shows up. She's the one giving him skin. She's like doing all she's the stuff. She's way for him. into data. You, she's yeah. You want to be human? Look, I'm already there. Basically, I I'm the one. I'm who what you there. I am. What you would become. Right. I am the female version of what you would become. If you give exactly. in to us, we will right. make you like me. I I and have just, emotions. I can right. feel these things. I've got skin. I've got yeah. On. Yeah. That should and, have been how they did that. Like, but yes. like, say that. Don't make it implied. Yes. We shouldn't have to be reviewing this movie some twenty-five years later and being right. like and making the connection for them. That is that's well, a great point. And what I'm really getting at too is that this should be an isolated incident. It yes. should never have showed up on Voyager. Now I know why they did. The character had appeared here. The actress had appeared. It's a Hey, it's fan service. You saw the character over on First well, Contact. Now you can see him on Voyager. Well, even then, they, they actually screw that up because they use a different actress to play the oh, poor queen they? on Voyager oh, on, a, okay. on a couple of occasions. But then when they have the final big showdown on Voyager, Alex right. Kreech does come back and reprise her role um, gotcha. as the queen. But there's this gotcha. other one who is the queen for a little bit. Um, right. But yeah, it was just like... They don't. They don't explain it very well, and yeah, it was. Uh, you shouldn't have done it. You shouldn't have had the queen. Right. Yeah. Well, and here's the other thing I was thinking of. This would have been maybe almost too much for a movie like this. Star Trek has been, in general, a kind of like it's not a horror show. It's not about no. horror. Right. The Borg are the most horrific species they've ever encountered. And we can talk about more of the horrific, horrific things that happen to characters. Like, for example, they stick those things in people's cheeks, and then they start immediately starting to be affected, and their skin bubbles and oh, the, gray. the insertion tubules. Yes, and they okay. start getting assimilated like immediately, which is horrifying. And then like Picard kills one of the Borg and starts digging around in the in the guts, and it's ensign somebody ensign Lynch. And, uh, and yeah, he shoots and, and, him and, and then pulls the processing chip out of him. Yeah, and later we find out that Picard actually had stuff in him. Like when, back on the show, it felt like all they did was just extra. Very they superficial. Put stuff on his body. Yeah. Like his hand still existed, but they put something at the end of his hand when he's. Yeah, because he, that's right. He sticks his hand out and they slide the little sleeve over him. Right. Whereas in this, episode, in this in this movie, we see that they've cut off the guy's arm and attached and a attach metal it. ball thing so they and can it's slip creepy. it. It's, it's awful. I mean, they don't they don't focus on it so much. That Body like, horror. Body yeah, horror. They don't go too far into it to make it like I can't watch this. 
But they do enough of it to show you the horror of what the Borg are. Especially, again, as I'm emphasizing, they didn't really do that before. And again, as the Wikipedia page is pointing out, they really emphasized that there are internal effects yeah. and changes and then that became, so than And that became external. the very much the, the, the new modus operandi for the Borg going forward. And it's just right. a clear extension of the fact that when they first introduced the Borg, there was very little money for this. Right. And then yes. as the show's popularity and stuff improved, they, of course, right. went back and they made this enemy more menacing and more ever, and everything else. Which is another reason why people harp on uh, Voyager for making the Borg suck. Because it's just like, right. you developed this, this enemy and you made them even scarier in your movie and your movie adding and everything else. And then you turn around and you dumb them down so that, you know, like we watch here in this movie, this brand new top of the line, state of the art, massively powerful enterprise E barely survives its encounter with one board cube and spear uh, respectively here. But then all of a sudden you drop a small intrepid class, only like 12 deck ship, minimal power, minimal complement, whatever in the middle of their, their home base, right. and somehow they're able to just beat them all. So yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah so it's means. a it's a it's a problem for right. sure. That well, what I was yeah. gonna get at with the Borg Queen was like we never see where the human like the human skin element of her comes from. I mean, clearly they can develop human skin, or at the very least, they're repurposing human skin. I was going to say, that's people. most likely what they're doing. They're During right. the assimilation process, they're probably cutting off skin from others and putting it Giving where it, it needs to be to other people. Yeah, Right. But, I mean, if they had wanted to go full body horror, they could have said that the Borg Queen is actually, like, there was actually a human woman. This is how badly she was assimilated. Like, her head and her her, her shoulders are still you can still recognize oh. who she was but that human is so gone like picard got out lucky the fact that he was able to be unassimilated and recovered back to normality this woman they didn't stop the the so, board didn't they didn't play nice with this woman maybe but again this is just being speculating yeah um as we saw with like the cutting off arms and such like yeah, Picard got off easy. They were going to be nice about assimilating humanity. They were going to assimilate them in a kind of more passive way. But now they're like more aggressive because like, oh, we see humanity's fought back. We got to so be more direct or something. So my thought actually feeds into what we were saying earlier about her being a conduit to data. Because mm-hmm. initially, the, the, the explanation given for why Picard didn't have the full body modification and arms being cut off and everything else was they wanted him to be that conduit for humanity. They wanted humanity to not resist so much. So by leaving him relatively unchanged, it was the hope that not just through his voice, because even remember, no Borg that we've encountered before has an accent of any kind, and yet when Picard spoke as Locutus, he still had his accent. And the explanation for that in-universe being they were trying to leave him while assimilated, they wanted him as right. unmodified as possible exactly. so that so that people would further identify with him. Right. So, to that end, it would also explain why the, if we go with the queen was supposed to be, the queen that we see here is supposed to be a conduit for data, 
that's the reason she comes to him and she is so cybernetic because mm. data is full on machine so right. by showing him that there is another step where he can i mean you look at her she's sweating when right. she comes down she's glistening with sweat she's she's got you know the the red lips she's got warm skin but she's also we just saw your skeleton lady yeah. you know and when so, she's dead and all that flesh is burnt off she's, she's like just she's a robot, robot. right she's yeah. a she's a t800 under all that <laughs> <That's a great laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I mean that was the whole point. So if yeah, if we if they had again, if they had given that explanation that she is to be the conduit to data to show him right. a new level of cybernetic existence to make him right. want to do what she said, right. that would have made for a way more compelling storyline. But then they flub it up because you know when Picard eventually gets there and shows up and they're talking, they try to make it seem like secretly these two had really had this connection all along and she was really using data to kind of not necessarily get to Picard, but get back at him for leaving. And that's the problem because she says, don't you remember me? And then we, oh, we get a flashback and he did know her. Right. The whole time. That is a problem. That that never needed to happen. That did not need to happen. They could have still done flashbacks just to show that Picard was still very much struggling with this trauma, but they did not need to have the flashbacks where she's like running her hand over his lips and stuff where she's somehow attracted to him as well exactly. that's kind of like the 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 insinuation yeah, it's too much yeah yeah. It, yeah that was that was yeah that yeah. was a bit much Didn't yeah um so yeah i wish the character had been yeah more focused like she's a conduit for data and because remind me because near the end of tng there was the episode where data's um other android brother more got yeah, he had got uh, – there was the Hugh uh, uh, Borg who had gained his individuality after being with the TNG crew, mm-hmm. and then he had spread that, and uh, they had come under um, Lore's influence uh, for a time. Um, like, I feel like that would have been – like, that's where she could have been like, we saw that you assimilated us. Now we're going to assimilate you or, or something, you know? It would – they um, could have used that as a way to explain why they were so suddenly fascinated with Data beyond the encryption exactly. thing. Because right. they would have had experience through Hugh and learning right. about what happened to Hugh and those other Borg that have splintered off because of lore. Right. Yeah, that and, would and have... Maybe, maybe the explanation for where the Hive Queen comes from is that they used the Hive Queen against lore. Maybe lore's been killed or something. And, oh, we were the Borg and we figured out the way to take care of lore was to create this human... The other way around, you know, the android who wants to be humid. Uh, anyway, and then we're going to use it on you. That would have been a fun little twist, actually. Mm. Uh, I'm the same one who killed your brother, Lore. Uh, I know how to get to you through your brother, Lore, kind of stuff. But um, you'd had to have known TNG. Really, yeah, that's, really that's, well. that would have made that 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 would have made this movie one of those deep cuts, you know. Oh, 100%. A, a great movie, but unless you really had watched like literally everything. You wouldn't, you, all yeah, probably, you yeah. wouldn't have appreciated it. Now, to the diehard fan, this would have been a fantastic movie if we had done that. We never right. would have shut up. It would have been on the level of <laughs> The Wrath of Khan, even. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. But, so I understand. They were, they were also trying to make sure they had something that was accessible to as many people as possible. Because this is also at the time that, you know, Star Trek on TV was starting to have a little bit of a 
uh, a waning period here, you know. Um, Deep Space Nine was in full go, as was uh, Voyager here. But again, we're coming up on the end of season five. Deep Space Nine only has two more seasons. Then you just would have had the only show on being Voyager. And, you know, when Voyager ends, they don't do another Trek show for another, like, I think it's like four or five years in between uh, Voyager and Enterprise. And then when Enterprise ended, there was no Trek for like 10 years. So... So, yeah, a lot of of interesting things uh, happening here in this movie and then play into other stuff in Trek later on. Um... But as we're wrapping up here, coming to the end, we've been talking here for an hour and 30 minutes, almost the full runtime of the movie. You know, if we, <laughs> if we stay on for another 20 minutes, it will be anyway. Yeah, um, exactly. but, uh, but final thoughts, what did you think of First Contact? Would you watch it again, I should say? Uh, yeah, I definitely would. Um, again, even knowing that the, the character of Cochran uh, has more to do with the rest of Star Trek lore, those parts just, they never had quite the draw of just the the bizarreness of the borg the borg are a fascinating idea um the idea that there's some culture out there. i mean i really want to know the history of the borg the idea oh that maybe do you some some there's some culture way out in delta the delta quadrant who who had the idea of enhancing themselves with with cybernetics and it got out of hand and it destroyed their society and they started going out and they just like there was there was a civilization once that is now long gone because they became bored they borgified themselves that's my theory how it happened so allow me to give you a little history (laughs) okay yeah go for it um there is actually a story about how the borg came to be and how actually the very first true borg are humans. So there is a <laughs> book. makes sense. Yes. Because they are very humanoid, but I mean, we have a lot of humanoid species, but yeah, go ahead. There is a book. Um, I'll have to look up whether or not the book is considered canon after I remember what it's called. Um, I know I have it somewhere, but I've, I'm obviously I've been moving, so it's somewhere in here. But basically, the, the premise of the book is that there was an ancient all- a robotic race, okay? And they were highly advanced to the point that, you know, they didn't even necessarily have robot bodies. They kind of like floated around in these kind of uh, programmable matter is the best way I can think about it. Like whatever they wanted, they could manipulate the matter around them to become the thing to the point where it, it seemed like magic, but really it was like super advanced nanotechnology. Okay. Okay. So they they existed in deep space. They actually ex- existed in a different realm of space, like a a subspace pocket, basically. And they were just this super advanced civilization. And um, somehow or another, the crew of the NXO two, which if you again if you watched Enterprise, you know that the first Enterprise was the NXO one. Its sisters, its sister ship that was launched, the NXO two, called the Columbia. And uh, its captain, um, I forget what her name is. Man, I'm so bad at this right now. But anyway, in the book, somehow she and her crew get transported several hundred thousand years into the past and into this subspace pocket where they exist with this race. And at first, the race didn't want to have anything to do with them. But then through communication and them wanting to like, because the humans are dying. 
they decide they want to save them. So they do right. help them and save them, and they save them by giving them some of their technology uh, right. and putting it into their bodies. Right. Um, it does save them. It makes them better than before, but they're not assimilated. They're not being controlled. They're just, they're, right. they now have cybernetic implants. And right. then I, it's been a while since I've read it, but something happens to them to where they get like half the race gets like obliterated and the other half is like almost dead. And they're trying to pull themselves together to, so that they, they, they can still survive. And this leads to them pulling in the humans and as the story goes, the last word that the last fully human person was saying before they were assimilated was, I don't want to be a cyborg. And that is the last word ever uttered by a human ah. in this grouping. It's And I'm, I'm describing this terribly. I will go get the book and I will go over it. But it, I remember reading it and it was actually a very sad and also kind of terrifying, like, scene that was described because it was like it was all a series of unfortunate events and accidents that caused it to happen no one at any point was being malicious they were just it was just they were at one point they were starving then they were dying then they were like fighting and they were just it was a constant struggle every single step of the way until finally there was just nothing there was nothing left they they had no other choice if they wanted to survive this thing had to happen and then they stopped being humans and stopped being this other race, and they were just Borg. Something else, and yeah. They were, yeah, and they and, didn't know. And to be very clear, yeah. I like, I, I think that really kind of jives with my idea of what the Borg were. That they weren't like the Borg. I don't think initially started off as a malicious race, yeah. as a homicidal. We're going to assimilate your culture race. I think they grew into that. They grew yeah. into cancer. And it's Something like, happened. yeah, because it was like, it, it, there were these, there were these ideas that the groups had that ended up getting like warped and twisted as they went through all these different struggles. And so right. then it kind of, all these things got distilled down to this one, a need to survive at any cost and this desire to, to, to go from being like a, a better version of yourself to a desire for perfection. So you right. put those two things together and you got this very ruthless, malicious thing out there right. that is moving across. And you're right, like moving through the new universe. Cause when they, when they finally dropped out of their pocket of space or whatever, they were in this uh-huh. area where there was, there was again, basically nothing. So now they had to survive at all costs and it was just, they moved through the area like a cancer, sucking up resources every which way they could out of the fear of if they don't have it, they will die. So they right. were just taking everything. Right. There's a, on Wikipedia, there's a non-canon origin stories uh, entry under the Borg stuff. And um, I don't know if it has what. What's the name about, of it? What is it? What does it say? The name of the book well, is or. There's the Lost Souls version, the novel Lost Souls, the third book in the Star Trek Destiny trilogy. That's it. The That's the one. Lost Souls. The okay. Star Trek Destiny trilogy. I read all of it. I read the whole trilogy. That is the book. That is the book series that it talks about all of that in. It's the only yeah. one that I've ever read that that detailed all of that for the Borg. Yeah. I didn't know the whether or not it was. The city of Mantillus. Yes. Yeah, the Columbia 
something happened, something the happened. The USS Columbia. Yeah. It was a fascinating book to read because it's um it obviously it does deal with time travel, but there's a lot of stuff in there that's like it deals with um again, what would you do to survive and dealing with technology that's almost indistinguishable from magic. Um, when should you use technology or not? Kind of like their own version of the Prime Directive. And then like there are growing factions in between all these different groups and who's going to do what. And the captain of the Columbia, she's the first one who gets the, the benevolent assimilation treatment. Right. And uh, maybe that's maybe that was the Borg Queen. There you go. That's her origin story. <laughs> well, she wasn't. So then, so now another another lore, another another one that gives us a Borg origin story is there was a game called Star Trek Legacy, and yeah, it came out here. maybe like yeah. fifteen years ago. And in that one, the very first Borg Queen was Vulcan. Um. Uh-huh. And they used a Vulcan because of their mental capacity. And they also found that while Vulcans in general were great for the various processing that they did, Vulcan females in particular were the best. And so wherever possible, the queens were made out of Vulcan females. Um, yeah, that says that says something about that here. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of them that go around. I'm I'm so proud of myself for having remembered some of these uh, <laughs> off the cuff here. But yeah, there's a lot of origin things out there about the Borg. Um, none of them that totally explains it perfectly, um, yeah. which I think is great. I love that there's still speculation and that they give us great stories for that. I think it would upset me if I had a concrete, very boring one. Um, I know that Star Trek also did like another Borg-ish thing in the original series with a, a, a supercomputer called Landru, I think. And Landru was kind of uh, a prototype Borg uh, thought that they had back in the 60s. There is no, there is no being. There is only Landru. That was the, the <laughs> language. That's how it spoke. So, right. yeah. I mean, they the Borg notion pops up a lot but i feel like this is the first time that they ever really kind of got it together to give us something for at least a a movie reference here right well all right david i think that we have kind of covered everything is there anything you can think of since we're almost to the same running time of the movie is there anything else you can think (laughs) of that we haven't talked about that we can squeeze in here in this last nine minutes uh, actually, there is one thing. So, looking up the, uh, trying to figure out when this movie falls into Deep Space Nine, I actually read somewhere that this actually might fall into later season five than we currently are at. While the movie came out on November twenty second, and the episode we just did, Rapture, came out on December thirtieth, uh-huh. uh, there is some people trying to figure out where the timeline of the episodes and the movies come out. Someone was saying that it would even be like as late as episode 23 of season five. So we're on episode 10 right now. So like still a number of episodes out. Now, some said, yeah, the, 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 the um, uniforms changing is proof that this is when it would happen. Um, and Worf definitely was in charge of Defiant last mm-hmm. we checked with him. So it makes sense that he would be in charge of Defiant. Um, there's an explanation in the movie for why he took the Defiant out. Uh, from Deep Space Nine, other than the board was showing up and they got everyone they could. 
Um, but I wonder if this, I mean, I imagine the show will have to address at some point, Hey, the defiant is getting repairs because the defiant is unavailable. I don't know if that ever comes up. We'll have to go back. I'll have to go back and pay, I guess, extra attention to see if in the, in the coming episodes, there's ever a time where Worf just is not around. And then we can just be like, Oh, and, and war, it has to be that Worf and the defiant are unavailable. Whether they say explicitly that he has gone back to earth or whatever it is it that right. doesn't necessarily matter it just needs to be that Worf and the defiant are unavailable because they could have just been like out on patrol or doing maneuvers or something like that and then they got the call about the borg and they immediately took off and went there there's no need for it to be oh they they left from deep space nine with this specific intent to go yes. to fight fair enough the borg. Yeah, so, yeah yeah for sure yeah we've so had plenty of times when You've been out on a mission and suddenly... And the emergency call comes in and you're diverted from what you're doing. Right. So that's all we need to pay attention to. Any time coming up where Worf and the Defiant are unavailable, that would have been the most likely time that this occurred. Right. And if... I'm just, just, just saying, it would have been fun if our Deep Space Nine cast had been on the Defiant and had been able to participate in some capacity. It would have been a wholly different why movie. Why is Worf and the only one there? Because Maybe that's why. everything... Maybe everything happening on Earth with the Earth's characters that was our Deep Space Nine cast. It was Cisco who had been sent down. Hey, you're not in charge of the Enterprise anyway. We need someone down on the planet. Why don't you go down and supervise? I mean, you you've created, you helped to create the Defiant. You know technology. Um, it, it would have been such a powerful scene. <laughs> That instead of Worf on the bridge with Picard telling him to blow up the Enterprise, if it was yeah. Cisco and Picard face to face. Oh, okay. Me. Sorry. It was a great yes. scene because Cisco. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. Man, yeah. Now I you, yeah. <laughs> when because Worf is telling him blow up the ship. We need to yes. cut our losses. Picard's right. like, we're gonna stay and fight. Right. And then he he's gets in his face. He's like, You want to run away, you coward. And yeah. Worf's like, If you were if any you were other man, else. I would kill you yeah. where you stand. I was like, Yes, 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 yes. he would. Yes, Worf would yes. have killed you. Yeah. Oh, that's yes. it's a it's and a great it delivery. Only Picard. Only yeah. Picard. Worf yeah. gives such a Michael Dorn gives a great performance here with so little words and just all of it. You can see the anger in his yeah. face and everything else. The way he says it, I was like, yeah, I believe it. He's got that mech right. left still back there, Jean-Luc. You might want to <laughs> shut up. You're going to pull it out and have your arm tied around his leg. Yeah. You keep talking. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a great moment, too, because he says all that after the one of the security guys comes back and says, the board keep overrunning our checkpoints. And Picard's like, go back and do hand-to-hand combat if you have to. And, and that's where the warp is like, nah, man, we, we got we to gotta scuttle the ship and, and end this now. And it's Worf, who of any character out there, as we just saw, could do hand-to-hand combat. Which he was the only, if you watch those scenes, Worf is the only one who successfully hand-to-hand fought a Borg besides Data. Other than Data. Besides Data. Because in that scene, when they're in the corridor, not on the the deflector dish, on the corridor, Worf... The guy, the the Borg was too close to him at first for him to shoot, so he right. bashes him, and then he right. shoots the other one down the hall, and then later on he also cuts down another one, and then you see another guy, a human guy, try the same maneuver Worf does with the butt of the phaser rifle, and it just right. hits the Borg in the chest, and the Borg's like, "Be gone!" and just backhands him, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Worf yeah. is the only one besides Data who can handle right. fighting the Borg 
hand to hand, and here is Picard saying, "Get back down there, fight hand to hand, do it." Yeah. yeah, yeah. Come on, Picard. He's like, "Wait, know when you're beat." Earlier, didn't you just say, "Don't let them touch you"? Now you're all hand to hand, man. Yeah, get That's it. Actually, a good point too. And it also puts uh, a finger on the fact that Picard was emotionally affected, yeah. which is why he wasn't allowed to bring the Enterprise into the fight in the first place. Yeah. Another great example, though, of like the Enterprise coming to the to the battle just in time for the worst of it to have already happened and save the day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the Federation ships going up against cubes have been decimated in two a different lot. battles, like five years apart from yeah. each other. I don't know how they're going to fight anyone else. Um, there's actually a great moment when the cube was blowing up where there's a Federation ship that's trying to do like a – trying to like pull out and like the the debris hits it and makes it explode. Yeah. I was like, yeah, man. Even when you're successful, you still got um, – yeah. Well, and let's, happens, and let's not so. forget um, the cube is huge. Oh, the cube, they're, they're monsters. When it came on screen, yes. you're looking up at it. It was a great moment. Great moment of when the movie first started, and we are in Picard. Where obviously, he's dreaming and he's having the memory of being in his alcove, and it's zooming out from his eye, no less. It's zooming out, and we're on the interior of this massive, massive ship. You know, yes. um, they communicating that scale oh, that was, is, oh you're right yeah. yes that was as the opening scene yeah. it was amazing yeah yeah it was fantastic well we're only three minutes away from viewing a full well, hour 50 we're, yeah we're gonna we we're gonna shoot for it so the next thing <laughs> gotta talk about real quick is when lily confronts picard in his mm-hmm. moby dick ahab moment we get yes. such a great oh. you know the line must be drawn yeah this far yes. no further yes. that's uh yes that's another memed, heavily memed scene with Picard when he freaks out. And um, I've never read Moby Dick, but the line of if his chest was a cannon, he would have shot, shot his, his heart apartment. upon him. Yeah. I was like, that's a great line. No wonder Moby Dick is a classic. I've never read it. So I've like, never how, I've never uh, read it either. And that's what she says. Actually, yeah. I've never read it. And I was like, Ugh. Yeah. And then Picard, you know, so eloquently and succinctly explains what Moby Dick is all about. And, you know, just that pursuit of vengeance and blinding yourself to everything else that's going on around you and all of your other spectacular losses just for this victory that's going to be small in comparison, which, again, kind of puts him in his place. His, you know, he realizes that he is Ahab in this scenario. And he then he comes back out on the bridge and tells everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Nearly lost everything. He nearly had his own Ahab moment before he came to his senses. And yeah. So. Yeah. Right. And last but not least, we got a minute left. We're going to talk about Deanna Troy being spectacularly drunk at the bar and then (laughs) having three shots of tequila and then passing out at the table. Great comedic scene. Marina Sirtis, again. Yes. She's always wanted to do comedy. There's plenty of, of, uh, of interviews that she's given where she said she always wanted to do comedy and they never really let her. And then they finally uh, let her and she nails it. Spot yeah, on. Yeah, she did a Spot great on. job. Especially with uh, Riker giving her a hard time. Yeah. Um, and she's like, I was the only one here and I had to get him talking. And, and I had to keep yeah. his hands off me, you know, yeah. Yeah, that's so. it. 20 minutes to keep his hands off me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, she and Riker need to finally get together. I know they eventually do, but for crying out loud, even now they still haven't quite Okay. Got together. Well, it's coming. It's coming. I know. I know it does. I know it does. 
Well, okay, I think that will actually do it for us here on this um, F- this Fire Caves After Dark special. We did right. a- run the full length of the movie, and I still feel like there's a lot more we could talk about about this movie. And as other things come up in Deep Space Nine, which we'll be returning to next week, we will, um, of course, uh, make references, I'm sure. Um, as always, guys, you can find us and follow us anywhere you happen to do your social medias. You can also listen to us anywhere you do podcast i happen to do it on spotify so until next week guys we return to our regular deep space nine programming take care of yourselves thanks guys